Started this last week and uh, excited to just kind of see what God has for us as we uh, sort of dive deeper into what it means to be the kinds of neighbors that God has called us to be in Jesus. Uh, but before we do that, I just want to take a, a couple of minutes and just recognize men. Happy Father's Day. Um, I want to just celebrate men. Um, and I sort of had this, this moment last night of saying, like, we need a ministry in the church called Journeyman. Uh, j- journeyman, apprenticing Jesus, because we put the men in Journeyman and Night Church, right? It's a dad joke. It's Father's Day. I'm allowed to have dad jokes, right? Because uh, without men, it's just Journey No Night Church. I don't know what that means. Nobody even knows what that means, so I need the men. Um, in, in all seriousness, right, um, it, it's tough being a man, like in our culture, like having a vision of what it means to, to follow Jesus, to like apprentice Jesus, and to be a man in our culture, because we get all sorts of other messages of, of what a, a vision of masculinity is and manhood is. And, uh, and so realize that there are all these pressures, and it's tough to be a, a father, and, and just want to stop and, and just encourage you, and just bless you uh, as men in the church to say that, man, God is at work in your life. And God has just poured His Holy Spirit into your life, wherever you are on your spiritual journey. Uh, whether you're part of the church or brand new here this morning, I'm so glad you're here. Um, and, and I hope you feel like, I hope you feel beyond a shadow of a doubt that God sees you, that your Father in heaven loves you and knows you, and uh, is at work in your heart uh, to know that uh, your job is not easy, whether you are a father. Uh, or whether you are just a, f- a father figure, whether you are like, you know, um, ha- have other young men, young women in your life that you are, you're teaching and leading, uh, your role is significant in the church and in the community. And just want to say thank you. Thank you for w- everything you do, men, in the church, uh, to, to make the way of Jesus known. Um, also realize, like, you know, we talk about, we talk about Father's Day, uh, to realize, like, there are there are so many, and we, we talk about this with some regularity with the care portal and um, our involvement with, with St. Francis Community Services here in Hutch, but to just realize that there are so many kids in our communities that are, are fatherless, that don't have a father figure. And so we want to pray for them as well this morning. We want to pray for, um, for us as a church that, that, uh, that we can maybe step into some of those roles as God leads us. Um, also want to say... I just continue to be, to be blown away by my experience and the way that I learn how to be a father through many of you. Um, know your stories. Some of you get to sit with you and talk and, and realize, like, there, there are lots of you um, who didn't have great experiences with your fathers, with your dads, and, and um, would say, like, your dad didn't, wasn't able or maybe didn't know how or didn't have the tools to provide the things that you needed of affirmation and love and, and care and, and all of that. But you have chosen something different for your family and for the people around you. Like, you've made an intentional decision to love your kids and to love the people around you. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for the example that you are. Thank you for the ways that you've taught me. Uh, and I continue to learn from you. And I would love to just offer a prayer blessing uh, for, for you men uh, in, in the congregation. Um, so let's, let's just pray together this morning. God, thank you. Uh, for these uh, journeymen. Uh, God, thank you that we uh, have said yes to apprenticing you, Jesus. Um, God, it's amazing. You tell us again and again that you are our Father in heaven. 
that you are the Father from whom every family on heaven, in heaven and on earth derives its name. God, you're, you're the Father that our hearts long for. Um, and God, whether our earthly father was, was good or um, whether there was some pain there because of that, God, we trust that you are the Father that we need. And so we come, God, as men, um, to hear your voice, uh, to hear your voice of love and of acceptance and of affirmation, to hear you, God, calling us into being uh, men who are filled with your Spirit, men who have, God, the fruit of your Spirit evident in our lives. God, we just ask that you would just continue to pour your gifts into us, God, so that we uh, can share these gifts with others, that we can be blessed to be a blessing. I pray for uh, every man in this place. And God, those who aren't able to be here this morning, who are part of the church, God, that they would know that they are a part of your kingdom and you have a place for them. Uh, God, to use their gifts to bless others. I pray that you would just speak your words of encouragement to our hearts this morning. In the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Journeyman. Somebody start that ministry, all right? Journeyman. Apprenticing Jesus. So, um, this, uh, this series called Neighboring. Um, I want to, I'm going to just take a second and move this over here. See if I can do this without dropping the whiteboard. That would be entertaining, right, if I happened to drop that. There we go. Everybody see the whiteboard? Hey, thank you. Thank you very much. Worked all week on that. That's, didn't get to the sermon. I just practiced that. Um, so we want to start this morning um, by picking up on a passage in Philippians 3 that we didn't get to last week. Last week, we kind of started this series on neighboring and uh, really felt like we just need to start here with, with uh, this couple of verses from Philippians chapter 3. And to just give you a bit of a heads up on where the teaching is headed this morning, we're going to start with really big picture stuff, like um, the, the big picture of why neighboring matters, why it matters how we relate to our actual neighbors living next to us in our communities, why it matters, the big picture of why, and then as the sermon goes along, we're going to end with some just really practical stuff. Hopefully, you know, just Stuff that we can say, okay, I can take a step this week in my neighboring, in your neighborhoods. And, and here's one of the things that we're, like, on this theme of Father's Day and stuff. There is this temptation, um, you know, when our kids come to us and they say, Dad, like, why? Why do I have to do this? You know, you know what the easiest response is, right? Because I said so. I'm your dad, and I said so. I have the authority to do that, to you do what I say. Um, and while that may be the easiest answer, it's not the most helpful answer, is it? And one of the tricks of, of parenting, one of the really helpful practices, is naming the why. Right? It's not just we have this rule, but why do we have this? Why does this thing matter? Why does, why does me doing this thing matter? And so that takes a lot more time to sit down with your kids um, and to be able to explain, well, here's why we do this. Here's why we live this way. Here's why we act this way. Here's why it's important for you to empty the dishwasher. Because you're a part of this family. A part of a family means you contribute. And, you, you know, we, we care about each other. And, and this is what we do. We, we help each other out. So you name the why. Does that make sense? Um, and the same thing is true in the church. Why should we neighbor? Like, why does this matter? Um, unless we are really gripped by the why. We can spend all day on the what and the how, but it won't really actually make a difference. 
It's the why. It's understanding the big picture that actually inspires us um, and that moves us forward. So we want to spend the first few minutes just talking, talking about the why. So let's jump into Philippians chapter 3, um, verse, uh, starting in verse 18. Philippians 3, 18. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. And their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So, um, Apostle Paul is kind of the, the father of, of this church. He, he'll plant this church in the city of Philippi, and now you can kind of hear the concern that he writes with. Like, I write to you with, with, with emotion, with tears. Like, I'm pleading with you to live a certain way in your own communities. And, and he's calling, Paul is concerned about the church's holiness, right? He, he's concerned um, that the church doesn't just, like, assimilate into the rest of culture, but that they keep their uniqueness, that there is a uniqueness to being a follower of Jesus. And in some ways, we are going to be out of step with the culture around us, right? I mean, it, it, because we follow Jesus, there are certain things that are going to sort of set us apart, um, not in a like a holier the vow and speaking judgment on others, but Jesus changes our lives. And Paul's concerned about this. And he, he, he contrasts what he calls being citizens of heaven with uh, those whose minds, he, say, are on, he says, are on earthly things. So here, here's what he says is, is, is what it looks like when, you're, when your mind is set on earthly things. Earthly things. He says, first of all, like, their God is their stomach. What in the world does that mean? Um, I have to admit, like, sometimes my God is my stomach. Like, sometimes I obey this craving that my stomach tells me, hey, you need to go to the fridge and do the dishes, like clean up all the leftovers. Like I eat the whole thing, right? Um, we, we open the cupboard and we just like, we open the bag and pretty soon the bag is empty. Um, and, and what Paul means, I think when he says their God is their stomach, is like there is a craving and their craving says you want this thing, whether it's actually food or anything else. And the craving is the only thing people know how to obey. I want it. So I get it. I take it. I use it. Does that make sense? So part of this, like, earthly thing, he says, is like, we just, we just follow our cravings. If we want it, we do it. And there's no sense of what is actually good. And that leads into the next thing. He says their glory is actually in their shame. That, that we can have, and, and people around us may have, a distorted vision of what's good. Like, there's a misunderstanding of what's good. We want to define what's good and what's not good on our own terms. And, and so we pursue what we think is good, our cravings, our own desires, and we think it's going to like lift us up and, and like we're going to follow it to like we'll be more glorified. And yet, Paul says, because we misunderstand what's actually good, it leads us to shame. The glory is in their shame. And then ultimately, he says, and their destiny is destruction. The road that we step on when we just follow our cravings and we want to define what's good and what's not good on our own, 
the road that that's leading to is, um, is nowhere good, right? It, it leads to ruin, to actual physical ruin and to spiritual ruin. He says the destiny, the road that that leads us to is destruction. So he holds all of that and he says, but remember your citizenship is in heaven. You are, are different. Like there's something different about you because what Christ has done and is doing in your life. So there's this, Paul's calling us to holiness, um, and he says it has everything to do with this idea that our citizenship is in heaven. What in the world does that mean? What does it mean that it doesn't matter, like, what country you're from, uh, what symbol is on your passport, your citizenship, if you're a follower of Jesus, is in heaven? What in the world does that mean? Does that mean sometimes, um, Uh, Here's how we've been taught to think about earth, right? And we'll kind of make this like kind of cloud-like place up here, right? Heaven. Earth and heaven. Uh, And so we've been taught kind of to think about earth and heaven um, as they're two different spaces. Like this is our space and this is God's space, right? And and heaven is probably somewhere up there, right? Um, It's up. So as the story goes, like, um, the goal of life and the goal of the good news of Jesus is to what? To get us to heaven, right? And so um, this is the story kind of we, we've, many of us have been taught is that someday um, we're going to be taken from here, from our space, from earth to heaven, this is a story. Two separate places, our space, God's space, and someday the, the whole goal is for Jesus to get us out of here and take us to another place somewhere else called heaven. Now, I, I would ask you to raise your hands. How many of you have heard, you know, this, this is a story? And, and many of you would be saying, like, isn't that the story? Like, isn't that the point of it all? Um, and I would say, no, I don't think it is. That I, I think it's actually a misunderstanding of the story of the scriptures. So when Paul says, when, we, when, this is the, when this is the framework, and Paul says, hey, by the way, you're citizens of heaven, what we can hear in that is like, hey, uh, don't worry um, if the world's going to hell in a handbasket. You can just sort of wait, and someday you'll be extracted. You'll be taken up out of it, and uh, God will take you somewhere else. So don't bother getting your hands dirty in the mess of this world. Just, just wait for your time to come. Um, this world's not my home. I'm only passing through right? Some glad morning, I'll fly away by and by. This is the story. And we sing about this stuff all the time. This is, this is the, the, the way we've taught to think about it. Now, if I'm calling this into question, why in the world would I do that, right? If I'm going to ask you to rethink this a little bit, it's because I'm really convinced that the Bible teaches us something different. So here's what I think the Bible teaches. In Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, right, the beginning of the story, where heaven and earth it says, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth, right? Perfect circle. And where are they? Heaven and earth are not two separate spaces. They're completely overlapping. In, in, in Genesis 1 and 2, at the beginning of the Bible, God is not somewhere else. God is with his people in this world, in creation. God walks with his people in the garden, in the cool part of the day. God's just hanging out with his people. They're in perfect relationship with him and with each other. Heaven and earth are one. Nod your head if that makes sense. Are you with me in that? 
So heaven and earth are one, and this is the way God designed things to be, that, that human beings made in God's image, we, we, uh, we partner with God to take care of this world. Like that, this is a very high view of God and a high view of human beings, that God has created us to take care of this world. I'll read Psalm 8 later this afternoon. It's an amazing psalm. He crowned us with glory and honor and made us just a little lower than the angels, right? And, and, and so that we, could, we could follow God's example and take care of this world. Heaven and earth were together in Genesis 1 and 2. Now, is this our reality, that heaven and earth are, are one, completely overlapping? To experience life is to experience heaven on earth. Is that right? Of course not, right? We have all this pain. We have all this brokenness. This is the number one reason why, um, at least in my interaction, people reject God, the idea of God. Where people have said, um, you know, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in God, is because there's so much pain and suffering in the world. And how could a good, loving God create a world with so much pain? And the answer is, God didn't create a world with so much pain and suffering. We did. We did. It was human sin, rebellion, where we said, human beings said, um, hey God, we want to define good and evil as we want to define it, so we're going to pursue our own thing that ends up ripping heaven and earth apart. This is the story. I'm just going to kind of draw this up here just for the sake of it being a little bit bigger. That rips earth and heaven apart. Right? So, so now you have heaven is, is this place where God is and everything is the way God wants it to be. But now there's this earth where like we have made a mess of things. Where, where, where people take advantage of each other, each other and, and abuse each other and exploit each other. And, and their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame and their mind is on earthly things that are separate from God. Does this make sense? Nod your head if you're with me here. This is, this is the story the Bible tells. So this is where all the pain and all the destruction and all the sorrow comes. But notice I left the circles overlapping a bit. Why is that? It's because God has always had a space throughout the scriptures where earth and heaven have overlapped. And in the Old Testament, it was always, you can draw, if you're drawing this on your paper, just draw a big T. Um, Mr. T, I don't know why that came to mind. I mean, you draw a big T if you can see this. Uh, is because the place where heaven and earth overlapped in the Old Testament was, first of all, the tabernacle. Right? There's a big tent, and, and in the middle of the tent is what? It's the Ark of the Covenant, and this is where it's like a hot spot of God's presence, and you could come into the tabernacle, and you could meet with God. Why? Because heaven and earth met, overlapped in the tabernacle. As time went on, as the people got settled there in Jerusalem, they didn't have a tabernacle, a movable tent anymore. What did they build? Another T word, a temple. And the temple was a place where heaven and earth overlapped, where you could come into the temple, you could bring your sacrifice, <clears throat> and, and because of the sacrifice, the, the, sort of the, the sacrifice of these animals created a clean space where heaven and earth overlapped, and you could meet with God, and you could have your sins forgiven, and you could be healed, and, and all of that. This is, this is how the arrangement was, the tabernacle, the temple, where heaven and earth overlapped. This is how they understood this. But then... Last week, right, we talked about this beautiful little verse in 1 John 14, 114. It says, The Word, God, became flesh and moved into the neighborhood, made his dwelling among us. So this is Jesus, right? God becoming flesh in Jesus. And do you know what the word for dwelt among us, like moved into the neighborhood? Do you know what the actual word is? The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. How cool is that? 
So what does Jesus do? Jesus comes into this world, and we just finished a whole series, right, about amazed, about how Jesus, like, he doesn't pay any attention to the temple. Why? Because he is now the place where heaven and earth overlap. So he goes around, uh, he goes around, like, healing people, not with the temple. He goes around saying, hey, your sins are forgiven, completely bypassing the temple. He just moves into this world full of destruction and pain and chaos, and he starts bringing healing and hope to people around him. This is what Jesus, and this is why people got so mad at him, because they didn't understand who he was, and they, they, protecting the temple through their religion and all that stuff, and so eventually Jesus is like pushing back the powers of evil and darkness through his life, and the powers of evil rebound, right? And they just sort of all gather this head of steam. It's like this, this train wreck of human history of all the sin comes right at Jesus. And Jesus, in this moment of the cross, take your tea and just turn it into a cross, he actually became the place where all of human rebellion, where all sin, all the ways we have made a mess of the world was focused in one place and Jesus took it all on to himself and all of evil and sin exhausted itself in Jesus. And Jesus, he takes it all on himself, he, he, he takes it down into the ground and then three days later he rises again and it's his resurrection but it's also the resurrection of the world. That Jesus is, is starting this brand new thing in the world where now heaven and earth are anywhere Jesus is present. That Jesus, he, he comes and he's raised to new life again saying, no, 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 the temple is not the place where you meet with God. God's spirit is actually involved in the hearts of people. And anybody who, who surrenders their life to Jesus, turns their life over to Jesus, is filled with the Holy Spirit. Wherever you are, church, there is a little pocket where God is active and, and he is actively bringing heaven to earth. This is why Jesus taught us to pray. What? May your, he said, anytime you pray, Pray this. We call it the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Where? Here, on earth, as it is in heaven. In my neighborhood, as it is in heaven. Next door, as it is in heaven. So, when Paul writes to the church, and he says, hey, you're living in the middle of a dark world where there's pain and there's chaos and their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame and they're, they're headed on a road to destruction, but don't forget you are citizens of heaven. He is not saying just wait until God comes and extracts you out and takes you somewhere else. He's saying be involved. Get your hands dirty in the soil of this world and live as citizens, as representatives of the kingdom of heaven. Um, Everybody not, not, not in your head with me? I mean, like, this is compelling stuff, right? This is, this is amazing. And, and, and so um, you might be saying, Eric, you're, you're stretching Philippians 3. I mean, you, you might say that. Well, think about this. The city of Philippi was a Roman colony, right? So Rome runs the world, and so Paul's writing to Roman citizens. And Philippi was a, was a ways away from Rome. It was in northern Greece, and, and Philippi was originally settled with Roman military generals who had retired, and they were given like 40 acres and a mule to, you know, settle down and, and raise their families and all this stuff. And so he's writing there, and he says, hey, don't forget you're citizens of heaven. And they would have automatically said, ah, but we're citizens of Rome. But the plan was never for these people who had settled in Philippi to someday go back to Rome. 
It wasn't the plan. Rome actually didn't want them there, <laughs> You're right? Um, which doesn't really translate, but it's the truth. Um, their plan was never to be like, hey, go settle down in Philippi for a while and then eventually come back to Rome. No, their whole job was to spread Roman culture far and wide, to live out Roman culture in their places, to spread it to the people around them. So when Paul says, your citizenship is in heaven, what is he saying? He's saying, colonize earth with the life of heaven. Live out a heavenly culture, a Jesus-centered culture, where you are in your workplace, in your neighborhood, so that people will get a glimpse of this and will actually come and see the goodness of Jesus and surrender their lives to Jesus and begin to experience a bit more heaven, um, experience of heaven. Now, then the end of the story, ultimately, how how does the, the Bible end? I don't have much room here, right? So there's a pair at the end of the story. Um, there's not. Um, what happens in Revelation 21 at the end of, at the, end of the story? Where does, where's heaven? Heaven comes down, says, as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband, and God's dwelling place is now among the people. Uh, the, the, behold, I saw the holy city of the New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God as a bride beautifully dressed for her, her husband. And there was a voice on the throne that said, Behold, I am making everything new. Someday, Jesus is going to return. Right? Someday, Jesus, our king, is going to come back and he's going to finish everything that he started through his life and his death and his resurrection. And heaven and earth will be one again. All evil, all sin will be purged from this world, and God's world will be as it was in the beginning. This is how the Bible ends. This is why, and you start to see this all over the Bible. In, in, in Matthew uh, chapter 18, when Jesus, and I realize this is, this is not how many of us, we, we've been taught this picture of like, no, the earth is sort of destroyed, and God sort of starts over, and heaven is something else, with harps and clouds and white robes and stuff like that. It's just like, it's just, it's not the picture of the scriptures. Um, you, start to, you start to hear Jesus say, like in Matthew 18, when Jesus says, at the end of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, he describes it as the renewal of all things. The renewal of all things. Is that cool? That, that heaven and earth are one again. This is where we're headed in the story. And then you start to hear these, these scriptures like 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The new creation has come in us. That God is making us new from the inside out. The old is gone. The new is already here. And all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. So here, here's one of the things we have to remember in this, is like, this does not happen apart from Christ. Like, this is not like a story of human progress. This is not a story of, hey, if we can just get this right, if we can just be good enough, um, enough technology, you know, advancements, then we'll, we'll, we'll get here. Heaven and earth will be one again. The only way this happens is through Christ. Through his life, his death, his resurrection, and the power of his Holy Spirit at work in the world and his second coming. This is how this works. It's all surrendered, um, centered on Christ, who is that God was in um, reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him. And he has now committed to us the message of reconciliation, and we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, and we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 
God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So, so we want more than anything. This is why Paul, like when he writes to the church, he says, like, I, I say this, I write this to you with tears. Because we want more than anything for our neighbors, for our friends, to come to know Jesus. Like to experience the life giving power of Jesus, to be reborn, to be remade, to be renewed from the inside out. And here's the thing, like we, we, it, it's a good sort of moment of reflection to say, if the story of Jesus doesn't compel us, like if we, if we don't find this like compelling to say, I will give my life for this, then, then have we actually received the good news of Jesus? Have we actually sort of tasted and seen the good news of Jesus? Are we experiencing the fullness of, of like the, the, the kind of life that Jesus is, is, is doing inside of us, is recreating us and remaking us? And, and so I'd very much encourage you, if you say like, yeah, I'm not really compelled by that, to take some time to say, is Jesus really good news to me? To take some time this afternoon and process this. Because there's nothing more important than this. Now, here's where it gets super practical is one of the places, like, so in our neighborhoods, if, if we picture our neighborhood, your house, wherever you live, is an outpost of heaven. It's an outpost. You're a citizen of heaven in that place. And your job is to, is to bring the culture of heaven to your neighborhood. What does that look like? And here's one of the things I think it looks like. It looks like abundance. Any place where Jesus is, there's enough to go around. So think about this for a second. Cassie talked to us about the story of new wine in, in John. I love, Cassie, your prayers. Uh, so cool. Jesus' first miracle, he's at a wedding, he's at the party, and they run out of wine. Ah, tragedy! Like, there's no more wine. And so what does Jesus do? Uh, his mom kind of pulls him into it and says, hey, they're out of wine, can you do your thing? And so Jesus does. He makes more wine, this abundance of wine, better than, than any of the wine that they had before. Um, and so there's this, like, they're just overflowing. Wine is this, throughout the Bible, wine is a picture of abundance, of just overflow. And, and so Jesus, like, wherever he is, there's, there's more than enough to go around. Imagine this, uh, the, the story of, you know, 5,000 hungry people. Jesus has been teaching people, and there are 5,000 people, right? Hungry. They've been there listening to Jesus all day. And, uh, and the disciples, these first journeymen, they look out, and they're like, um, all they see is scarcity. All they see is lack. All these hungry people, and we don't have enough money to, you know, buy them food, and there's enough food in the town for them. Jesus, what are we going to do? How many of you have found yourself in that place, right? Just scarcity. That's, you see the world through the lens of scarcity. And what does Jesus do? Jesus looks at him and he says, um, so what do you have? We got like five loaves and two fish. Like, we got nothing. Jesus says, well, just bring it to me. And Jesus takes it and he multiplies it. And what? There's abundance. There's enough left over. There's plenty to go around. So one of the things in our neighborhoods that you and I, as citizens of heaven, are called to do is to help people see the abundance that is already there. Abundance. Now, I have a neighbor. Uh, yesterday, I uh, took the kids out on the walk. Actually, I have a number of neighbors, but I have uh, a couple of neighbors who, um, they see the world through the lens of scarcity. 
There is not enough to go around, and everything's bad, and, um, you know, it's just too stinking hot. We never had a spring. We just went right from winter to summer and, like, all this stuff, and, and you just, like, you constantly hear about everything that's bad. Um, and I find, like, okay, it, it's my job to help sort of create a vision of abundance. So, like, we're talking about, like, oh, we have these Mississippi kites that are nesting. Have you seen these birds? They're beautiful birds. Um, uh, are nesting across the street in the park, and they're, they're like, there, and he's like, yeah, you gotta watch out. They'll, like, dive bomb your head, and they're talons. It's dangerous. I'm like, well, I haven't had that happen yet, but, like, maybe we'll wear our bike helmets on our walks from now on, just in case. Uh, but I, I find myself saying, like, so, uh, but they eat mosquitoes, so that's pretty cool, huh? Like, kind of pushing back into the negativity and the scarcity. Like, oh, it's cool. We have less mosquitoes this year than, than last year because they eat them. Um, so we get done with our, our walk, and we come home, and we talk to the kids, and we're like, oh, so our neighbor, have you ever noticed that they see the world through a dirty window? And our kids are like, what do you mean? Like, he doesn't clean his windows? It's like, it has nothing to do with his windows. But what happens when you see the world through a dirty window? Everything looks dirty. Like even the, the brightness of the sun and the blue sky and the beautiful trees, everything looks dirty. So how, how do we help clean the window a bit? Can we do that? And so uh, yesterday afternoon, they, they baked some chocolate zucchini, you know, little cake things and uh, made them out of hearts, whatever. <laughs> and, and so we're going to take them, take them across the street. So what would it look like? If, and maybe you're prone to scarcity. Like, maybe you're prone to just say, like, no, this world is a stingy place, and there's not enough, and so we're going to hold on tight, and we're going to get what we have, and we're going to accumulate, and we're going we're to end up holding everything with a tight fist. If we have a scarcity mindset, that's what we end up happening. That's what ends up happening to us. But Jesus is calling us to abundance, to say, no, 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 we can actually open our hands. We can share. We can open our hands to give, and we can open our hands to receive. We have a—I uh, talked to a family, um, uh, a journey family— this past weekend, they live in a neighborhood that's, it's not like a, a scary neighborhood at all. It's a really neighboring kind of neighborhood. And, uh, but they have this one set of neighbors who moved in from out of town, and they're just terrified. They, they just live in a scarcity mindset. Everything is all bad all the time, and somebody's out to get us, so they have cameras up all over their house, and the house is locked down like a fortress, even when they're at home. And so um, they, they just kind of try to push their way in and, and invite them out of that scarcity mentality into a a view of abundance. And so th- this neighbor calls this family from Journey, calls a guy, and he says, hey, you've got this tool, and any chance I could borrow that thing? And, and my friend is like, yeah, hey, here's the code to the shop. It's in there. Just go in, take it, take whatever you need, whatever. Feel free. T- keep the code. Just use it whenever you need it. Because like, you would give me the code to your shop? Like, what? The lady calls... Um, my friend's wife, right, and uh, at another time, and says, hey, I need this thing, like, from the kitchen. Like, I'm out of these ingredients. And she says, oh, yeah, fantastic. I'm not home right now, but the front door is open, so just go on in. It's in the left side above the sink. You'll just, you'll find what you need up there. And so, like, little by little, you're just, like, opening their world to say, you actually don't, and I'm not saying everybody needs to do this. You need to leave your front door unlocked. Don't hear me saying that. I'm saying, what does it look like for you in your neighborhood to help people open their hands up, to begin sharing, to begin seeing this vision of what it can look like when people actually love and care for each other? Because this is one of the things it looks like when the kingdom comes, is a view of abundance. So, real practically, keep walking around your neighborhood. Or, or if you're in a walking, biking, driving around your neighborhood, whatever that looks like for you. And keep praying, God, 
Give me a vision for what it looks like when your kingdom comes here in my neighborhood as it is in heaven. Right? You just keep praying. God, how do you want to use me in that? What are you up to? Who are you, whose heart are you moving in? And how can I, how can I care for them? How can I participate because I am a citizen of heaven? Keep, keep doing that. What we talked about last week. Um, just real practically, make that a, make that a, uh, make that a habit that you just keep doing. Um, you can start a club in your neighborhood called We Will Borrow. It's like a wheelbarrow, but wheelbarrow, right? You just borrow. Ask somebody for help. Somebody has expertise you don't have, or they have a tool you don't have, or something in the kitchen you don't have. Just like, hey, could I, could I borrow this? And then return it. Like, that's good. Um, and ask somebody for help and, and be willing to share with open hands with others. Throw a neighborhood party, right, to get people together, to build relationships, that there is abundance. There is abundance in your neighborhood. This is part of what we are called to do as we live as citizens of heaven. God, thank you for, for your abundance uh, that you call us, Jesus, to a brand new way of living. Jesus, thank you that you are at work in us, making us new. So Jesus, we just, we surrender to you. God, we surrender our lives to you. And we say, if we have been, um, if we've been sort of seduced by this scarcity mindset where it's like, you know what, we got to protect ourselves. We got to, we got to hold everything with a tight fist. God, we ask for a conversion. We need, we need to be converted. God, help us to experience the life of heaven. Help us to experience Jesus just a taste, just a bit of your vision. Uh, God, help us to see your generosity. Help us to open our hands. Help us to share. God, we want more than anything for our neighbors, and we, we bring their faces to mind right now. We bring their names to mind right now. God, we want them to know you. We want them to, to fall in love with you, Jesus. We want, we want them, God, to, to experience the life that you have to offer. So help us, use us as citizens of heaven to be an outpost of heaven, to colonize our neighborhoods with the life of heaven through the Holy Spirit. Praise in Jesus' name.